Hello. Hello, Hansel, and welcome everyone to episode two of Cancel and Gretel. Thank you so much for joining us again, and welcome if you're joining us for the first time. How was your weekend, been Hansel? We're recording this on a Sunday, just FYI. Weekend was pretty good. Most weekends are the same with COVID nineteen. Uh, but I walked out. It was super sunny and bright outside today, so I dressed up and walked outside. That's the most exciting thing I think I did. Oh, and I watched a bunch of TV with my husband, so that was fun. Awesome, awesome. How about you? How is life my, in the new city? Um, it's been nice. Uh, nice sunny summer and stuff. Um, some disturbing shit going on in India, which I'd like to start talking about. So sure. let's just get rolling with the episode. Yeah. So we sort of. Lent on the whole cancel culture in the U.S. and that's in our name. I mean, canceling Betel. So I feel like it'll be hypocritical if we do not address cancel culture back in India. And especially it's, when it's like the land of cancellations, where people get cancelled for is. everything. And when we mean cancelled in India, we mean getting rape threats, getting death threats, and it's just it's cancel culture in its worst shape. So a comedian had a skit a year or so ago where she made a joke about a historical figure, mm-hmm. and in that she referenced the historical figure figure without using an epithet. It's literally like saying Alexander instead of saying Alexander the Great, and. So it wasn't that, even an insult. It was just leaving it out. It wasn't. It wasn't exactly, and that apparently was enough to trigger the right-wing hold in India and the ministers, etc., in the state government caved into pressure and they instigated like legal proceedings against her. It is just. It's just completely fucking crazy, man. It's just completely fucking crazy, and. Obviously, some goons got into the act. They vandalized the studio where the skit was shot, and since this is India, other dudes decided that they're going to issue rape threats. I'm only and laughing sh- because this is horrifying. This is just—it's horrifying. It's horrifying. Like it just happens so the, much. I it's saw just the guys. I saw the guys' uh, rape threat video. He's simultaneously. Seriously, being misogynistic, being racist. For some reason, he decides to bring in Black Lives. I don't know why. I don't know why he he invokes What? Obama. I have no idea why the guy has like severe issues. Severe issues. Hmm, that can be and said about middle, a lot of people back home. And in the middle of and in the middle of issuing his threat, he says, "But I respect women, just not." Oh stop, my God. <laughs> I mean, like See, this is why dude, I laugh because it's dude. just beyond hysterical. It's just beyond hysterical the way. Ah, uh, this is yeah. India is definitely not anywhere as progressive as we'd like it to be. Yeah. Sometimes I compare it to the League of the Middle Eastern countries, where women are just seen as property in some innate. I mean, even if it's not like in the law, people have equal rights and stuff like in the cities. It's still like inherently women are viewed as properties. Otherwise, why would they make rape threats? Do they make rape threats for men? 
they don't they make it for the men's wives or sisters or whatever so it's always like this it's just and oh yeah and this i respect women this is just uh this is so indian that's the reason i'm giggling yeah. is because this is and, not the first time this has happened and this will not be the last time this happens of course and to all non indian listeners out there this is what cancel culture in its final form looks like i know i mean you some don't somehow make, you don't have to make like legal changes to your constitution or anything you just start having de facto blasphemy laws that are enforced by society and by mobs and that is a common feature it's just the mobs are way more vicious in india or you know some other context some other countries in the indian subcontinent for example but yeah it's you're right it's like the final form of cancel culture peak cancel culture like peak cancellation yeah it's I mean, if, horrifying if, if folks in the us or europe are waiting for like an ayotola or mao zedong to come over and start canceling i mean like actually legally yeah, you, don't need- you don't need that you don't wait for that society sort yeah, of yeah democracy man <laughs> it's quite you can do it in a democracy do it in- exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> it can happen anywhere yeah and do you remember on this note do you remember the movie padmavat and what oh, the controversy okay. surrounded that movie oh my again, god i watched again, that movie and yeah you might want to explain that to the listeners yeah so there's this historical poem all right which is written about 4 500 years ago and it's about a king and a queen and the antagonist in the poem so the protagonist king and queen are hindus the antagonist is muslim and this is written from 4 500 years ago probably during the mughal rule or whatever and today a movie or a couple of years ago a movie was made based on the poem and people were fucking outraged and insisted that the poem was reality mm-hmm. i mean you you make how do i put this you're turning fiction into reality and on the other hand with like historical figures we're turning them into gods and like mythologies i know it's 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 pathetic and in that case i think it's because they portrayed in in the movie they portrayed that the woman actually even in the movie the woman never gets so the story is like the woman is a hindu her husband is a hindu warrior and he fights this muslim villain who's trying to take over their uh, their land and their palace and empire and so like um the woman the muslim villain falls in love with the woman and wants her to marry him and so she kidnaps he kidnaps her at one point but she's unwilling to give up her virtue so in the whole movie it's not like she complies with him or consents to him having feelings for her in any way so she's been portrayed as a strong warrior woman who ends up fighting fighting until the end and yeah i mean the movie is disturbing for its climax scene but no way did they portray the woman in a disrespectful way like disrespectful as per the hindu culture and yet the outrage for that movie and the the amount of torture that the actress and the crew of the film faced is just horrifying and and on that note everybody go watch this movie called padmavat because it's a really well made movie and it's really beautifully beautifully picturized and the songs are amazing and it's a really nice movie like come on just get over it i was just yeah these things keep happening in india it's like cancel culture has always existed in india yeah which is why they sort of horrified it 
that, that is the whole point when i came to the us the first thing i appreciated is the freedom is like everybody can do whatever they want and be whoever they want and they have the comfort to be who they want and now it's like yeah it's coming from the other side like in india it comes from the right wing authoritative mm-hmm, mm-hmm. authoritarian people but over here it's coming from the left wing people and it's quite sad to see that all right so let's so the way the episodes are going to work is it's going to be like a mishmash of flashbacks about why we believe in the things that we believe in as well as some more topical issues like the one we just spoke about so uh hansel i know you want to talk about go a little deeper into our sort of history and why let's talk about you getting right phase let's just do that <laughs> okay <laughs> on that topic i must announce that so i live in a ground floor apartment and there are two people outside my apartment they've parked their bicycles like right outside my window and i hope they can't hear me because i'm actually terrified of expressing my views right now um hopefully they can't hear me so anyway yeah for those people who oh, say God. cancel culture is not real example it's one disproving it is right here live on this podcast so yeah anyway i so yeah i definitely got repelled just bef- just a little after trump's election i believe i mean for the record i never supported trump and i never will um but i think it happened because i met my spouse and um he's a business owner and so i used to be a bernie supporter back in the day when i was dating him and he found it amusing but he wanted to he wanted to entertain me and he liked me so he he continued to date me but he used to like challenge me on the economics aspect of many of the proposals so his constant question was how do you pay for it how do you pay for it and i kept trying to dig up answers to these questions but a lot of it came down to taxing the rich and even then in some situations in some of the policies it would still not pay for it without taxing the middle class so i started noticing that you know no offense to bernie sanders like we discussed in the previous episode mm-hmm. he's the only politician who has integrity right now and i respect him greatly for that but i noticed that he makes a lot of arguments based on morality and about how we should behave it was not more about don't the right to that as well sorry doesn't the right to that as well doesn't the right do that oh of course and that's another reason why i got anti red pill so that's my problem it's like when it comes to public policy i agree that morality should play a small component but it should not be the major component driving policy so that's my opinion so anyway so i started like reading more about i guess fiscal conservatism and i started watching a lot of youtube videos and i'm ashamed to admit that it is so easy to get radicalized through youtube <laughs> videos and i was one of them i never had extreme views like i didn't get radicalized by the literal sense but i definitely know all the top right wing commentators i've seen a lot of their content i used to listen to it while i cook pretty much every day and it all made sense to me and it was yeah i'm ashamed of that face because it was quite a few weeks of just listening without questioning but then once i started questioning i moved far away from it quickly and i think jordan peterson was my trigger point for that um 
can we talk about jordan peterson for a few minutes yeah yeah of course so i don't think he's a right wing guy per se but he is a traditionalist and he became famous for making this whole controversy at university of toronto about using transgender pronouns and honestly i'm not even supporting his stance on that topic but he came out as a free speech warrior from that whole controversy and i started listening to his video lectures on individualism and that like got me really hooked and of course rereading fountainhead like it is not more about public policy per se but from a personal point of view uh just my personal ethics i became a hardcore individualist and objectivist uh, again i'm i'm trying to reiterate that i don't want to push objectivist policy to a country's politics because i don't think it's practical but mm-hmm. as a person like as an as an individual if you follow objectivist policies with a little bit of compassion i think you can be really successful and feel really fulfilled in life and so those things really spoke to me so i will admit i had a jordan peterson poster at one point in my studio apartment um because i was really inspired by him about how he found divinity in the individual uh but unfortunately i binged enough content of his and i started hearing some stuff that made me feel he's super traditionalist so he basically believes women are happier at home and women choose to be a family maker and you know doing the chores at home which is fine many women do but it doesn't mean that women are supposed to be at home right so i don't know i i felt like all his content was geared towards inspiring men and i felt a bit he has some indian dna no no indian dna just the standard christian religious dna this whole patriarchy has been a classic you know it's been allied with religion for all of history so it's not very surprising um and yeah i mean he's not like a bad guy or anything but he's just a classic traditionalist so i got turned off and then soon all of the stuff started turning me off because Hey, we're back from our technical difficulty. So, Hansel, you were saying? Yeah. So, what I was saying was that I realized slowly that right wingers also exert their morality more so more than left wingers. So, it's not like I have a political home there. And I realized I basically don't like anyone telling me or others how to live their lives, which I guess makes me a classic liberal, as our favorite, you know, commentator Dave Rubin would say. um just for the record i hate dave rubin and we need to dedicate 5 minutes to hate on dave rubin at some point um sure. but yeah but yeah that's my journey so pretty much i'm neither left nor right although i would say i'm center right i guess because i'm more fiscally conservative mm-hmm. but um and also because i come from india i'm a little more conservative even socially uh but not aligned enough with the right wingers just somewhere in the middle So yeah, centrist would be more accurate, I guess. How about you, Bretel? Yeah, so similar to you, and I feel like I don't want to retrace the same journey that you've had because we've had similar experiences, which is why we are podcasting. And to paraphrase, we've gone through the evolution that Churchill talked about, where he said that if you aren't a liberal when you're young, you have no heart, and if you aren't a conservative when you're old, you have no brain. Also, fuck Churchill. He's just British Hitler. I don't know I why. I hate Churchill. Too. I mean, you've rubbed this one on me. 
Yeah, yeah, I don't know why we live in a world where like Churchill is revered and Hitler is reviled. I mean, Hitler obviously deserves to be reviled, but Churchill is in the same bucket. Like he, please look up the Bengal famine if you don't know what I'm talking about. So yeah. Also, did you just call me old? That's ageism. I'm offended. Right I called now. us old. Yeah, that doesn't make it better. I get. But go on. <laughs> All right. I'm keeping so, a score. Cool. <laughs> so. I mean, that sort of evolution is pretty natural back in the day. But what I wanted to talk to you about is, uh, and this is something Trump ranted about last week, where he said that our college campuses are too political and everyone is too leftist, blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> fine, maybe that's, I mean, that yeah, that's largely true and that's and, and that's something churchill acknowledged back in the day and that's how people are i mean when you're young you your thoughts are more heart driven than brain driven and maybe even also i don't agree that people in college are too political maybe undergraduates are which is where most of the noise yeah, comes from it's the same concept you brought up in the first episode he's not talking the, about phd's like like you that have no time for any of this shit. Yeah, seriously. I, although, yeah, lately I've figured out that that's not true. But yeah, during my PhD, I didn't have time for this shit. Yeah. I, yeah so definitely. we were probably one of the last generations that were allowed to have this evolutionary phase without being inundated with social media. I mean, we were obviously on Twitter back then, but... Still, it feels like a. Uh, I'm going to call me ageist again, but it feels like a generation ago when we were have when we were going through all of this. And I know, I know. I, I mean, I look at the girl from 2016, and I I feel like she's so naive. And the evolution was more natural, although it was shaped by YouTube or whatever. But my intention to go towards a direction or leave that particular direction was all like on my own. I mean, it was probably influenced by those videos, but. At some point, I did make conscious decisions. I never got shamed on social media for any of my thoughts, which definitely helped. So yeah, I see what you mean. So what do you think we should do about politic- uh, about college campuses? Do you think Trump is right? Do you think it's too leftist? Or do you think that's the natural order of things? People are going to be leftist when they're young and they'll evolve. Do you think that evolution is still possible? So I definitely think evolution is still possible. Um, I don't think that the people doing the evolving need to be right-wingers. It's honestly repulsive. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, exactly. I, I, yeah. So things like the letter that came out last week, which was um, a cause of great uproar, even though it was a cause of great uproar among this, um, you know, uh, vocal minority, I think there was a majority that was silent that supported the letter. So I feel that in the coming weeks and months, we'll see how it goes. But um, I'm hoping that a lot of liberals, like rational, sane liberals, who don't necessarily hate the other side, whatever the other side might be, don't want to like punish people or cancel people, they'll start speaking up. I, I hope this happens because like all the people who wrote the letter, they keep tweeting out that they get hundreds of emails every day saying people are terrified to speak up. Even leftist professors are terrified to speak up mm-hmm, in this atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And so Noam Chomsky today has emailed that, yeah, I've got a lot of emails from leftist professors saying it's a very toxic culture. So so it's like at least people are accepting 
I don't know. I don't know if there's going to be a change. But, um, but again, I, I hope there so, is a change. So we were discussing this on one. Someone who tweeted at us said that most of the illiberals, mm. the cancel culture mob, they skew towards a very younger demographic. So everyone that signed the letter is largely established. They're at the end of that evolutionary cycle where their their ideas and their views and their positions are well formed. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, what about the impressionable uh, young minds in college? Do you think? Do you? I feel like the solution that uh, that Trump and a lot of other right wingers have to, you know, college kids being leftist is to expose them to right wing propaganda. I I don't think that's that's how you go about it. I I because I here's what I think. I think the world today's society and the world today is such that you are going to swing one way or the other. You're not going to be like a vector sum of moderate. Of, of sorry, you're not going to be a moderate vector sum of left and right. You're going to swing one way or the other. And but we are true examples of that. We are. We, like a we are. Sum. I feel like we had this. Like I said, we went through this this phase. At, Five, six, seven years ago, and those were different times. I don't. I think society has gotten exponentially less forgiving since then. I know it's too bad. Yeah, it's and too bad. my solution is, and sorry for saying this, but I would deplatform politics on college campuses, like entirely. I mean, that was my whole PhD experience. It was not a conscious decision. People were just too busy to care about this stuff, and I would say it worked. Like we all got along, all people of different races and genders and religions, and we never talked about politics or any of these topics very deeply. It was all very superficial, and we all focused on the work and we focused on just being nice to each other and getting to know each other as humans, and it worked for the most part. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I would enforce it. When I say, I say I deplatform politics on college campuses, I don't mean people should not be having discussions about politics. I mean, I am sure college students are going to talk about this stuff, but it's the whole charade and song and dance of inviting speakers, protesting against them, and canceling them. Yeah, I mean, your solution is never going to be implemented, that, but yes, in a, but yes, theoretically, that would help. i feel like young people i mean politics is important like it's a part of each of our daily lives i guess or at least their daily life it certainly is not it's not a part of my life maybe i'm privileged but i just feel like people should focus on who they are and building themselves up mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to be in a position where they have some confidence in themselves they are educated on topics they can make well informed arguments about topics and policies i feel people need to get there and it's not easy like for example if you were to bring a random topic up i would have no expertise on this topic and i wouldn't be offering my opinion or protesting it or you know people need to be educated on stuff and i don't know i'm i'm i think i'm a conservative on this it's i just feel so i personally i'm not a huge fan of protests i know protests have changed things in the past but i personally being involved in a protest i don't get that high i don't get that feeling of i'm making a difference the way i feel i'm making that's, a difference that's because a lot of protests now and especially in the west are picnics 
if protests do not have stakes then it's not a protest it's a picnic it's a day out yeah a lot of the ones recently have been picnics although the cause behind the pic- the protests have been no i think valid. i think no i think the more uh, the re- uh, and we going to talk about the recent protests as well i think the recent protests definitely had stakes because we're in the middle of a pandemic it had stakes it had stakes for the people who went out there and protested so i do respect for i do respect them for that i'd say it was a, it wasn't a picnic when i say well, picnic i mean the whole, when i say picnic i mean the whole wearing a pussy hat and blah 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 i mean if see, you are again like see, again it's like it's not representative of the whole women's march like i respect no. the whole women's march and like my my phd boss went with her daughter to the march i did not because again that's just the personal that's, thing i don't believe in protests but she it went was, and they had a great time it, but it, i don't know what came out of it like nothing really came out of it did it the women's my, march the science march what happened what changed you tell me what changed except people virtue signaling that they're superior and they care about this because it wasn't it wasn't a protest i mean if you were able to take your kids to a protest it's not a protest it's a picnic <laughs> sorry for saying this over and over again but i feel quite strongly about it <laughs> and you know there are actually startups that sort of have uh activism based events are you serious yeah yeah dude capitalism will co-op capitalism i know it co-ops with everything seriously i mean like calling capitalism calling capitalism look at his success right now just marketing off of his beautiful activism is yeah he's become much richer than he was before so mm-hmm. props to capitalism for that yeah all right so let's move rocks. on to so speaking yeah, about talk, the one yeah, useful protest let's talk about george floyd yeah absolutely how did you i mean it was it was a lot and also rest in peace george floyd what happened to him was tragic let's just say Atrocious. that let's just say Atrocious. that this this yeah. horrified the both of us i know i watched the video and it was just horrifying i, I think too. i was in india i was in india when i when that happened and i caught a flight back to the us and i was talking about it to my family there trying to explain to them about why such incidents happen and you know uh, it was hard i mean it was very hard to watch that video it's atrocious what happened to him and me his soul rest in peace he didn't deserve that no matter what no matter what he had done i don't even care about his background but he didn't deserve that it doesn't matter it doesn't matter no exactly. one No one deserves to be murdered like that. No one, absolutely no one. This is just yeah. I I hope the cop who did it gets to go to prison, but we never know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on that topic, we should also talk about George Floyd as well as how this BLM stuff is interpreted by yeah. two of us as Indian immigrants. I think After we have a different that's perspective. That's more interesting for us to talk about. Exactly. I mean, this doesn't take away anything about. from the atrocity mm-hmm. of his murder and mm-hmm. the fact that he should be alive today it's just horrifying and yeah. may his soul rest in peace but let's talk about our perspective of what happened afterwards yeah yeah so again to reiterate we come from a place where violent protests vandalism destruction of public property is 
more common than here in the US yep and i have gotten i've been conditioned to being turned off by all of it because in oh, india totally i mean yeah, india, totally. it's known it's not a symbol of protest it's just hooligans running wild yep and and uh, i didn't want to bring this up gretel but i have a story where um, this is not my story this is my husband's family story is where my father in law and his young children like my husband and his brother they were in a small house living next to a group of people who were being targeted by one of these riots and people were attacking people so there's a population in india called sikhs who were turbans that's a minority religion in india and so they were being targeted in some riots who were neighbors to our, my in-laws families and at some point the riots got so bad that my father in law had a bottle filled with ingredients to make a molotov cocktail ready to hurl at people trying to kill his family and it got so bad that it's just after going through an experience like that there is, can never be any situation where any of us can think that violent protests are mm-hmm. okay or rioting is okay and normal even if yeah. they are rioting and looting chase bank or whatever whatever the big companies are Mace, uh, macy's or louis vuitton or gucci whatever it is maybe they have all the money in the world but i can never live in a world where that is normalized or celebrated at all so yeah precisely I mean, precisely and that was just horrifying to watch just 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 what i feel i feel like okay there is one justification for rioting and looting and that's if you were colonized and you want to chase away the colonizers so if india did not do this because we had like peaceful non violent civil disobedience led by mahatma gandhi but uh, and i kind of wish we didn't but if we had say started attacking the british while they were in india mm. that i'd say is more justifiable i don't condone like violence but my but that's war that's war that's different the rationale being no the rationale being you don't have to live with them at afterwards yep it's sort of like a one time event where you hound the british or you hound your colonizers and they're gone you don't have to live with them whereas yep. in india like the religious violence in india or the racial tension in the us you still have to live together after that and violence does not make that easy violence does not make that easy and just to cite another example uh, or other two examples the difference between mugabe and mandela like mugabe hounded the minority white farmers in in zimbabwe hmm. they went away and look at zimbabwe now hmm. mandela led had a more peaceful transition south africa is doing much better and south africa this is right after apartheid like they yep. had they had reason to be they had reason to be very very vengeful but mandela led a peaceful transition and yeah. i have in the past been very hot blooded about things and i have seen found or other considered violence to be justified but no it's not i've grown up it's not it's it's, it's simply see, not and see again 
and see again like there's different gradations of violence okay yeah, so yeah. for example in minnesota itself if they're burning that police station i might think okay i hope there weren't any human beings in there but mm-hmm. if there were no human beings and that station was set on fire i would be less angry than say some person randomly looting a minority owned store on 5th avenue or in la and like those two things are not equal those two things are different i mean it, it does and a minority owned store i think the distinction i would make is if you do have to use violence as a form of protest target public property i am not again i am not condoning it but there are degrees to everything and there's degrees to violence as well public yeah. property destruction is more i wouldn't say justifiable but i'd say it's more understandable than compared to private pri- private property yeah than looting private property that yeah. is there is no justification there is no empathizing with that that is wrong yep and for the record i even don't support public property destruction but i agree with you that that is slightly I don't better than it. private i don't support it either i i'm just saying that i could empathize with it somewhat yeah i probably couldn't i i definitely couldn't but i agree that it's less bad than mm-hmm. you know like harming innocent people and their private property mm-hmm. so yeah i mean that stuff was truly disturbing especially with the media at least in india they were showing all the worst parts of the protests or all i mean i won't say worst parts they were showing it as it is the violent protests as it is and so it's really hard for me to come back to the us and convincing my family that it was even safe to come back because the mm-hmm. media makes it sound like the whole country is on fire and it kind of sort of was in the big cities at least and the city where i live in was definitely extremely in a terrible situation just a week before i arrived then mm-hmm. thankfully things got stabilized so that's one disturbing aspect of the whole post george floyd reaction but another disturbing aspect is how uh something that bothers me till today is how the whole post george floyd situation has just been extrapolated to everything under the sun and it's still going on so academia was like okay we need to hire more black faculty because george floyd because systemic racism and it just became a widespread conversation through social media and all our universities started sending emails saying we will be doing we will be holding like a, a silent a silent protest or whatever like they were having a lot of protests about this which i which i don't oppose like that's great but they started sending out all these paperwork saying oh they pledged to do this they pledged to do that they pledged to increase the diversity they pledged and and i don't understand what this has to do with george floyd i really don't i mean i agree that there is a problem systemically uh, we can talk about it in another episode but what does this have to do with george floyd you tell me like what what, what is going on in the world right now it's still going on right that's why this whole cancel culture stuff has come up it's a hot bed right now because all fall the craziness that has continued since george floyd like what is happening so i think um i had heard this on a different podcast uh, andrew schultz's flagrant 2 where he said that now is actually the right time to be having all of these conversations uncomfortable and some of them idiotic as they might be because no one has anything no one has anything else going on we're in the middle of a pandemic We are okay, so you mean be... it's because of the pandemic, but it's not. 
I mean, it's because of the pandemic and it's also the right time to be talking about this due to the pandemic. So I, I feel like the reaction to everything has been amplified by the fact that 40 million people lost their jobs and people have been asked to stay at home and yada, yada, yada. But because there is nothing else going on, because life isn't normal, people don't have much else going on besides watching whatever the hell they watch on Netflix. I mean, I don't think there's any interesting thing show that even came out after Target King. Anyway, yeah. besides the point. So now maybe the right time to be having a lot of important conversations. No, but... you're just rationalizing why these conversations are happening right now, but it doesn't mean it's the right time. It's just, it doesn't make any logical sense what George Floyd has to do with systemically changing policies in academic institutions based on meritocracy. Like, I, I don't understand this. And I, I can't speak up about it. So I will be ranting about it here. Like, sure, I don't sure, sure. That, that, that's fair. I think the logic or rationale being offered is the George Floyd uh, tragedy was a result of a systemic issue in the police departments of the US. And before we get to that point in other spheres, let's talk about it and let's address it. I, again, you're trying to rationalize their thinking. Maybe, maybe, this, maybe, maybe. I don't, I don't see a good, I, I don't understand the logical connection. Like, I get it that structures can be racist. And so if police is one such structure, then maybe other structures are also racist. But it just seems, it's like those people are scrambling. Okay, Those people found yeah, the opportunity and they're scrambling to push their policies down our throats. And thinking that we'll swallow it like a bitter pill because there's a tragedy that's going on. And it's just horrifying. Mm-hmm. I don't even think George Floyd would have wanted all this craziness to have happened. I'm sure he wouldn't. I mean, okay, I shouldn't be saying I'm sure, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Here's yeah, sorry, George Floyd. I think Mr. George you... Floyd, we don't mean any offense towards you. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. I think you also would have been more welcoming of the conversation in academia if someone was able to stand up and say, there is no systemic problem in academia. Oh, that was blasphemy, Gretel. You will get fired tomorrow if you say this. I'm, so I think yeah. that's the issue here, where conversations are important. I think we should be having a conversation. There is no conversation. It's a one-sided force-feeding of dogma down our throats and yeah, yeah. That, professional retaliation. Precisely. I mean, if you're having a conversation, then you need to be open to listening to a different viewpoint. That's not happening. And I think that, again, I'm projecting my hypothesis onto you, but I think that might be frustrating. Would you have felt better if there were more voices that were saying or clamoring like you do that there is no systemic issue in academia? No, Gretel, I wouldn't have because then the next few weeks would have been spent on identifying all of us and firing us and I can't deal with doing science while I have all this political (laughs) hot-blooded thoughts on my head and these people these hot-headed hounds behind me it's just not gonna work out I don't have faith in them having a fair dialogue with me so there's no way I'm not saying there is no systemic racism or sexism I just think it doesn't play a huge part as people think it does so mm-hmm. I do believe there are other barriers, but we will talk about that in another episode, I promise. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I do have an insight into how hiring takes place in academia. Like my boss talked about this in a lab meeting because he was on the hiring committee. So I do have an idea of how hiring takes place. 
and so i do believe there is bias and he himself talked about examples of bias but it's not the big picture it's not the main factor driving this and it's like yeah i mean honestly gretel i don't have faith that these people want to have a fair dialogue and they will you know put motives to me that don't apply to me and just humiliate me in the professional workplace and i don't want to deal with this as an immigrant i just want to mm-hmm. get done with my work and get the fuck out of here so yeah you're right like i am frustrated and you may be right that it's because i don't have anyone speaking up for me but even yeah and i am cheering for people who wrote the letter or other professors on twitter who through their real accounts are tweeting about these things or at least trying to have a or honest discussion about this i'm i'm cheering for them so i agree with your analysis about why i'm frustrated but i also don't want to be embroiled in this debate because i don't have the mental energy to do this and do my experiments like i would just yeah it it would be too much for me so i'm a coward i accept it and i'm okay being a coward cool and i think just to go back to the point on college campuses i mean the whole yeah, political narratives no 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 we are actually going off on a tangent again the whole political narratives and conversations are exhausting for you who we have already established is old can you imagine mm-hmm. what it might do to someone that's 17 or 18 yeah so that's- tell me how how will they realize how will they find time to figure out who they are what they want to do in life outside of this bubble of politically mm-hmm. charged atmosphere how will they realize who they are and discover themselves like i don't get it that's the reason why i don't want this to be a part of their life like when i raise kids i want them to be aware about all these things i want them to be educated i want them to debate at home with me and my husband but i also want them to focus on realizing their potential focusing on their education which is what they came here for mhm agreed and while the us india and europe are talking politics 24/7 apparently china has curriculum where they give uh, teaching kindergarten kids and preparing them for learning to do or learning to code ai fuck my life i know i mean levels to levels i mean is it a surprise then that those people are dominating all the top earning sectors in the us it's not it's not yeah let's talk about that because that's another hot topic which riles a lot of people up is this concept of asian people doing really well in the oh. us and other western countries adjacency. yeah and white adjacency uh. exactly it's one of the most ridiculous things one of the many ridiculous things we've heard lately and i openly admit like i'm envious of these i don't know what their childhoods are like these chinese kids growing up in such a hyper driven atmosphere i mean we kind of had that too but <laughs> they had it we I, we had that too yeah we had that too but they have it worse than us i would say so i don't know if they had a happy childhood they maybe they did i mean they're a lot more disciplined than we are i'm making yeah. ge- generalizing here but like asian cultures are a lot more disciplined than we are and you can tell from the progress they have made versus compared to us yeah and just the fact that the progress that you see the progress they have made isn't that a proof that there is something called a meritocracy it may not be perfect but there is a concept of meritocracy in the us right otherwise how will these populations rise to the top how will mm-hmm. so many indians become ceos of tech companies how will so many asian people do so well in the us they out earn white men i think 
I think based on yeah, I think based on medium income, they out earn white men. So like, how is this possible if there's no meritocracy in the U.S.? I don't know, and I I don't. It's 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 weird for me that you need to decide what Asian and Indian Americans are. Are they people of color that are oppressed, or are they white adjacent folks that? uphold white supremacy and okay see white adjacency is a very very new like it's a very novel concept earlier it was like all people of color are being oppressed if that's the case how did these people get to the top then that's called model minority myth where it's like you're not supposed to bring this topic up because i don't know what is the model minority myth let's look that up because people keep quoting that at me saying that it's racist to bring the bring up that Asians are more successful. A model minority minority is a minority demographic whose members are perceived to achieve a higher degree of social economic success than population average, thus serving as a reference group to outgroups. But oh, it's a myth that's, because it's used as a racial wedge. Apparently, that's not. I don't. I mean, it's mythology apart. It's not surprising in the U.S. at least because. i can speak for indian and pakistani americans most of them in the us came for education stayed back and have done well so we're looking at the most successful indians and pakistanis that have moved here absolutely i, I, I would never ever say that know. indians are smarter than americans or anything no, like that I mean, the so indian yeah. immigrants are probably smarter than the average american because we came here for success it's a selection bias yeah it's totally. a selection bias Where yeah, is so, it? Even the same populations in the UK, uh, Indian, Pakistani, Brits, they have not come from similar strata of Indian society, and therefore are not as successful as their uh, American counterparts. It's I think the model minority thing is how important education is to you. See, I agree with you that there's a selection bias in immigrants. That's why immigrants, at least like some of them, tend to do better than the average native population. But when they settle down in the U.S. and they tend to have kids, they pass on the same culture and values to those kids. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. those minority kids—I don't know if you would call them minority because they're technically American—but they they still do end up doing well. They still have more professional ethics and like drive to succeed in life. Compared to the native population, because their parents raised them that way, and mm-hmm. maybe like it will get diluted within a few generations as they become more and more native. Uh, if yeah. that makes sense, because yeah, I've observed yeah. that anecdotally in, I've observed that anecdotally with family who live here over generations. Um, and yeah, like I, I, but but then I want to make a disclaimer that even though you know there are minorities that are doing very well in US, I lately. especially like you said george floyd has led to all these uncomfortable conversations while it's made me very uncomfortable in the workplace personally i welcome them because it made me think you know outside my comfort zone so i do feel that you know african americans have a lot of challenges to getting like you cannot expect them to become to where the indian successful um indian americans or chinese americans are it's not going to be easy because there are a lot of barriers for them i won't call it racism per se but right from their birth just the way the, their neighborhoods are set up and where they live their education where they go to so, school just to stop you there i think yeah. that is 
that's definitely a consequence of racism because that's segregation yeah that is a consequence of racism i'm saying it's not being driven by racism today like active racism today it's probably not like somebody being actively racist today but it's mm-hmm. like a consequence of racism for sure but the problem i have like i think the problem starts like where they are born where they live it's all a consequence of racism and segregation i agree but it's like it comes from early on in their childhood and it's very difficult for them to get i mean i'm not saying it's impossible a lot of them have made it like one of my heroes glen lowry he's a uh, um, tenure track economics professor he might get the nobel prize soon so there's no way i'm dehumanizing them or saying they won't succeed i'm just saying they do have some challenges and it's high time that people talked about the exact challenges and try to eradicate it instead of going for the superficial topical solution of affirmative action which i don't know is i don't know if it's the answer it yeah, could so be i don't know if it's the answer again to give some context from india india has affirmative action in its final form where you have instead of race we have caste based quotas where you say this particular caste has this percentage of seats reserved in public uh, education institutions and i fear that's where the us is headed and that is inherently anti meritocratic it is and i oppose it on that notion and i don't know like about i mean i think there are parallels between the us situation and the india caste situation is again mm-hmm. that the problem starts from their childhood from their birth and so the fix also lies there when you okay i need to stop you right there uh when you say it starts from birth and childhood it sounds vague and might come across as being a little offensive so you, maybe you want to clarify yeah i don't mean that it's genetic by any means not yeah. at all oh that's shit what i, I didn't that's what oh i was oh my god yeah i didn't mean it that way at all i just meant that their barriers are more in their childhood and early life such mm-hmm. as access to good primary education access to mm-hmm. good healthcare access to like resources to educate their kids you know those things determine mm-hmm. whether you end up mm-hmm. going to college access to role models so those mm-hmm. things really make a difference yeah like, agreed agreed and i this is something that this, i feel yeah. sorry uh, you were saying no i was just going to add that certain neighborhoods have higher crimes and kids mm-hmm. growing up in those environments have a dramatically different childhood than a kid in a safe mm-hmm. environment mm-hmm. so these are mm-hmm. like real problems that needs to be solved yeah. and an affirmative action as a bandaid will not help solve yeah them. i mean affirmative actions tries to solve the problem at the top of the pyramid you need to be fixing the pipeline you need to be fixing issues at the grassroots i know it's very it's very you hard and it's easy for us to sit and talk but pull, yeah you can't start pulling people up when they like 18 or like there's a lot of talk about a lack of diversity in uh corporate CEOs CEOs yeah. of that stuff that isn't going to materially change a lot of people's lives yes it's inspiring for uh, uh like let's someone like me to see like a woman yeah, yeah. Oh yeah even for you like uh, to see an indian american woman would i'm sure you would feel inspired or an african american ceo i'm sure that would be inspiring for a lot of black kids but it is it's intangible there it doesn't tangibly benefit lives what tangibly benefits lives is making sure that issues are addressed 
as early as possible providing exactly. best fucking quality education to kids in poor neighborhoods i have seen personally the sort of education that's provided to kids in rural india they might as well have not gone to school i know man it's it's heartbreaking and 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 i know that you and i at least when we move back to india we hope to contribute in our own way to change mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and we will and like for example like one thing i realized from all these conversations about systemic racism and stuff is one of my colleagues in the lab brought up this story i want to bring the story up although i hope it doesn't get me identified so i'll i'll try to keep it vague maybe so one of my lab let's not do that then let's just not do it okay never Or, mind but this yeah. story inspired me to have like i the way i want to approach these systemic issues is i am not a politician i cannot affect like policy but what mm-hmm. i can do as an individual is that when i start my own lab and when i have these internships for undergraduates or high school students i hope mm-hmm. i can take more interns every summer i want mm-hmm. to prioritize these kids i will i mean i will screen them for having some basic enthusiasm to do science mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i will i will prioritize kids from marginalized communities specifically through socio economic status so that i can inspire and make a difference in their lives through a summer of research and through that summer i not only through science but on an individual uh, like personality level i want to give them the kind of mentorship that will guide them to make the next best decisions and mm-hmm. i want to commit to being their mentor for the rest of their life so mm-hmm. like i have a mentor who's in the bay area who's for the last 10 years he's just a scientist in the us okay he's like indian born but he just got i got in touch with him through a family contact and he's just been talking to me for the last 10 years i've just been discussing my next steps should i apply to grad school should mm-hmm. i apply for mm-hmm. postdoc should i become a faculty just having someone talk to me about these things and discuss as well as personal issues like should i move with my husband what is going to happen about this how do i juggle family mm-hmm. life and work life and just having a mentor helps a lot and so and i want to be like a mentor to as many full kids disclosure as- full disclosure your mentor comes from the same community as you and etc etc so these things do play a do play a role let's just acknowledge that i mean they do play a role but i feel like I want to be a mentor to kids from my sure, like sure, sure, irrespective sure, sure. of my background like it doesn't matter that I'm a woman or I'm a certain caste or I don't know I don't care about that it, it matters though that I'm a scientist and I'm accomplished and I want to inspire them that they can be who they want to be and I mm-hmm. I really care about this strongly this will be a huge part of my career as a scientist and I really hope I can you know some of these people out of their situation and help them improve their lives i know mm-hmm. it's not a systemic solution but it's something i can do and i will i will do it I, mm-hmm. but i agree with you it's a grassroots problem it can't be addressed with a bandaid and i don't support this bandaid solution i mean it it's just going on and on dude is it really helping maybe it is i don't know we'll see i think time will tell yeah exactly yeah. and i think um i just, i literally just said like 10 minutes ago that it doesn't tangibly benefit anyone to have a ceo that looks like them etc i think I, i i i was not entirely right because when you start talking about your mentor i just realized that your mentor is from similar background as yours and no the, no i totally disagree with you no i feel like there will be like a kindred spirit for people that share cultures or values or even appearances and 
that's yeah but i do i still I, don't I, think that's a tangible benefit it's like it's not any i mean it's all about cost versus benefits right it's it's ruining meritocracy versus inspiring yeah, I, someone I and i take really, i'm I mean, not I support that, that should be the basis to mentor anyone and i don't think it's a systemic bias as much as it's a human nature bias that's just how we are yeah and i mean i agree with you that that's just how we are but i feel like one of my closest mentors right now is my phd advisor who's a white woman and there's a lot of things i don't agree with her about but she will be my mentor for life simply because mm-hmm. she inspires me to be a scientist so i don't mm-hmm. agree with i agree that there is some commonalities but mm-hmm. you know the mentor who's indian it's not because he's indian or he's like the same community as me that we bonded it's mostly because he's a scientist and he made it so like he made it big in the us and it gave me hope and promise that you know like if you really dream big you can do it and even now that's why he continues to be my mentor because he believes sure. in me he believes in my abilities so i want to be that for other people mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. yeah i i agree i know what you meant though i i know you didn't intend it that you know only black people can be mentors for black kids or whatever they they are more likely to be more effective mentors but it doesn't mean that They, yeah, that, yeah. It doesn't mean you need more black CEOs absolutely, because absolutely. you need more mentors. Like yeah. it's just weird. You need more heroes. I'd say. I I'd say it's important to have heroes. I agree. I agree In, with you. Yeah. All right. I think we've been going yeah. on for a long time, right? For a while, I think it's close to an hour now that we've been talking. Uh, any... Yeah, we wanted to talk about Trump and the immigration policy. Yeah, let's well, just I do that for the next episode. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And I also want to bring in a guest who also wants to share their views on how they have viewed the change in America mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. over the years before and after Trump. So they have some more perspectives on that. I think we could have a guest next. Dedicate week. the next episode to just talking about Trumpism. Yeah, totally. Just, oh my God, it's gonna be heated because none of us are Trump supporters, so it's gonna be heated for sure. I mean, we're not like we don't suffer from Trump derangement syndrome either. Oh yeah, we're gonna, we don't. We're we gonna evaluate everything yeah. he does on its merits. Yep, exactly. I agree. So, looking forward to that session. But mm-hmm. hope people enjoy this current episode. I wish yeah. you guys all an amazing week ahead. I hope everything that you hope comes true this week. and stay sane stay safe and see you next time yeah. signing and off hold on before that uh, please follow us on our social oh, <laughs> media we're, we're exclusively on twitter uh, we are at cancel gretel on twitter and as always if you want to send us hate mail you can write to us at cancel and gretel at gmail.com okay you can do sounds the signing feel now sounds good all right yet again have a great week Hope this week is full of positivity and amazing news ahead. Stay safe, stay sane, and see you next time. Signing off, Hansel and Gretel.